a lady that stands up and explains she's got a laptop that's got two different video cards on it. One's a NVIDIA and one's like an ATI. And the NVIDIA card just never works worth a dang. She called up NVIDIA and they, they won't help her out. And long story short, Linus Torvald stands up and says, yeah, they're the worst people to deal with as far as, you know, Linux problems. And then he says, and I'm going to go ahead and say, sticks the finger up, yep. F you, NVIDIA, you know? <laughs> Actually, the, he didn't say, he, he was full on uncensored, like, you know what? I don't yeah. even care. I made Linux. <laughs> Bite yeah. me. Bleak like you, <laughs> NVIDIA, and, you know, and of course the web goes nuts. Please. Episode 14 of Yet. It's yet another tech show at yetanothertechshow.com. I'm Matt Lee. Joining me tonight, we got Aunt Pruitt. What's going on? We got Mike Rothman. Evening, guys. Good to see you. And filling in for Larry Press for one more time, we got Shane Brady back. What's up, man? Hey, guys. Shane came and joined us for the Attack of the Androids last night. Good episode. Good time. Yeah, that was awesome. I really liked it. Yeah, check out all these shows. Every every week we do a, a couple here and there. So uh, you, we should start things out tonight with an amazing update. Just when you think, I mean, patent wars, litigation, all of, all of this court stuff invading our technology. You have Charles Carrion. We have Funny Junk in one corner. We have The Oatmeal and a couple of charities in the other corner, uh, along with, <laughs> dare I say, the majority of the internet. Uh, when last we, we mentioned this, you know, there was, there was some, some litigation, frivolous litigation, about Funny Junk hosting a bunch of the Oatmeal's comics, and that kind of went away for a couple years, and then all of a sudden, Funny Junk sues the Oatmeal, and the Oatmeal was like, seriously, wrote this letter, drew this picture, uh, Funny Junk got Famed, famed internet sex.com lawyer Charles Carrion, Charles Hotshot Carrion, uh, to represent them. And he, he ended up raising, this article says, over $200,000 for these charities, uh, the Oatmeal did. In, in a matter of days, let's, let's keep in mind, in 10 minutes he reached his goal, right? It was, it was pretty awesome. And so the latest, and this is off of Pope Hat, this is a group complaint about law, liberty, and leisure. Uh, Charles Carrion is suing the charities. He's actually suing charities. Who in their right mind would go, like at, at some point you just have to say, you know what, funny junk, I thought we could make some quick cash, I was wrong. I got lots of nasty letters, as I'm sure did you. Which, by the way, the oatmeal wrote in another letter to please stop doing. Again, this is the same. This is the same sex.com guy, right? 
Yeah, Charles Carrion. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> you know? This guy is classic. The American Cancer Society and the National Wildlife Federation just in a in a lawsuit with Charles Carrion, who was butt hurt, uh, that someone and this is their words, not mine, had leveraged his douchebaggery into almost two hundred thousand dollars of donations to two worthy charities, and he sued both of them. Cheers, oh. right, and Jeez, come on, man. What? Just let it go. You know you guys are wrong. You're a bunch of thieves. Oatmeal called you out on it. Just let it go. That's he raised all this want. money. You, you know, know, I don't, don't want to deal with it go. funny cartoons about angry birds. I don't want to I mean, deal with litigation. Come he on. didn't come after you guys for stealing his stuff when he very well could have. That know? was a case, right? I mean, I'm no yeah. Charles Carrion, but I, that seemed like a pretty legit. I mean, like, he had on. the proof right there. It's outrageous. He was a better man and said, let me do something and, and make a for a better cause, you know, and raise a crap ton of money. You know, and it wasn't just a couple of comics like he had a list of the URLs that funny junk had posted of his stuff like a mile long. I mean, there was yeah. there was a bunch. Yeah, he was ready to play lawyer ball, but he didn't want to. He was going to be a better man, you know. So the letter, the, the, the latest letter, just to kind of wrap this up, uh, the oatmeal writes, Charles Carrion, dear. Dear sir, dear Charles Carrion, you're making things worse. This dispute was originally between myself and Funny Junk. After the fundraiser was a success, I figured you and Funny Junk would stop there. This would have been an ideal exit for you. I wouldn't have been a particularly graceful exit, but an exit nonetheless. Uh, so when did this transform from Oatmeal versus Funny Junk to Carrion versus the Internet? I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark here and guess that it's when you announced to a journalist at MSNBC uh, that you were trying to shut down a charity fundraiser, which would benefit both cancer victims and endangered wildlife. And we'll put a link to the, the original article here. You can read it. He ends with, maybe start your own charity fundraiser as a way of apology. I'd donate. <laughs> Hugs and sexy bear kisses. The oatmeal. So we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes at yet another tech show.com. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Douche. Say it. Douche. Douche award. Can we say that? Yeah. No, no question about it. <laughs> if there Do was ever Jack Thompson, what Jack Thompson, he was another lawyer who was suing video games and all sorts of things in California. It's, it was so bad. He eventually got disbarred. Oh, wow. Yeah, he may be the king of all lawyer anti-fun douchery. But, Do you think him and Charles uh, studied the bar together? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, that that's the peak, though. Jack Thompson, that's the peak. Well, he's almost there, I think. He's, he's almost, almost there. there. So uh, we had some in the news uh, about the world's fastest supercomputer kind of going to this other company, and then what, IBM came back with their newest which was even faster than the previous just just before because i thought i read like a month ago that this other random company had made like the fastest supercomputer and it was for like the doe or something you know this is a story that's been going on for decades and i i really wish larry press were here tonight because he, he'd uh, he'd get into some of the ancient history behind this but for for uh since probably the 1960s through the something like the 1980s, Mike, uh, IBM always had the title of uh, 
world's fastest computer. And then some other companies came along, first a, an American company, and then there was sort of shock and uh, a pall when the title of world's fastest computer went to the Japanese. And in recent years, it's Fujitsu that's, that's made the world's fastest computer up until uh, just uh, this month when IBM uh, developed a new computer uh, to, uh, that now holds that title. This is a computer for uh, the Department of Energy's Lawrence National Laboratories in California, where it happens my son works. And uh, it's a computer that IBM calls the Sequoia. So if you want to hold the title to the world's fastest computer, call IBM and they can once again help you. Sort of a cool story. And they said that this one is used to carry out simulations that help extend the life of aging nuclear weapons, uh, avoiding the need for real-world underground tests, which is pretty much what computers have been doing for us a lot. I mean, models, running running models, yeah. and, and predicting outcomes of different variables, because they can do them all at the same time, basically. And do you think this is, I mean, it's that... It's like the space race, but with processors, and that kind of has been what's been the fuel behind Moore's law, kind of making these uh, these jumps every what sixteen or eighteen months, kind of doubling yeah. capacitors and and whatnot. It's processors, and it's also overall computer architecture. And uh, I don't begin to understand the electronics and the physics behind all of this stuff, but I do have this sort of nagging feeling that. If we've got the world's fastest computer, it sort of feels like it's too bad that what it's doing is worrying about extending the life of nuclear weapons. Why not scrap the nuclear weapons and put our computers to better use? Feed it some cancer algorithms and let it fold proteins till it finds one that works. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of asking, yeah, yeah. Instead of asking me to run my PlayStation and figure out <laughs> what do you need my patterns. what do you need my three uh, gigahertz? You have sixteen point three two petaflops. Yeah. Which is yeah. what want... six something petaflops faster than the previous K computer, which was at ten point five one. Exactly, and I don't even know what a petaflop is. Do you think every time they want to upgrade their hardware, their carrier is like, nope, sorry, you have a two-year contract. You're going to have to wait until (laughs) until you get an upgrade. Yeah, that's very likely the case. I think it's neat that it's running Linux uh, and that they can really extend the power of the computer by adding more nodes to it and... uh, I think it's awesome. These things can only get bigger and more powerful. Shane, what at what point is the where does this stop before we break into the realm of quantum computing? Like what's what's the ceiling on the current technology and processors and everything? Well, if you if you think about it, everybody's running more and more cores because they've kind of reached a limit on what they can do with an individual core. Um, so you're probably going to start seeing dual processor desktops. I think that's where we're going. No one seemed to have gotten past the three gigahertz consistently with the processor. Yeah, that's true. Huh? I remember the very first Alienware laptop I got way back in the day, and like the fastest you could kick it up to was 3.06, and it came with like two desktop fans in the bottom. It felt like it wanted to <laughs> hover off the ground. It was crazy. But nobody, yeah, everything you see clock. is... 
Yeah, everything you see is like three. 3.1, 3. 3.0, 6, 3.08. Yeah. You could super cool it and maybe get the four, but you know, you at the at the old rate. Well, with we overclocking like, and everything, be... you can go past that three mark. But what they come, you know. Yeah, they mark. But you think by the way we were going along, because I, um, I I recently had a, a certain anniversary at work, and the fastest processor when I started work was two hundred sixty six megahertz when I started my current job. And we've been at that three gigahertz per processor limit for years now. That's true, you huh? Know, How we, long did we stay at that two two sixty six spot? Like a few months, and then there was the yeah, three yeah, something. It was a few months. There are the four. What was the next one up? It was four something, I think. And then we started oh, getting the three hundreds. Yeah, First maybe. one I remember was five hundred megahertz, and was like, "Yes, this is going to be smoking." Yeah, I don't even remember what my the first one I had was an Aptiva five thirty five. I don't I don't know what it had. It was eight megs of RAM. That's I remember that and a double speed CD drive. I don't know what the double processor was speed. in that though. Nothing fast. Well, that's cool. I, it will be interesting to see because we're we're definitely at the time where you know they're either they're going to sputter out and this is where we're going to sit and they will move to try to innovate in other areas like maybe making our phones last longer than a few hours at those speeds but either that or there's going to be some wicked crazy breakthrough that sends us into some other architecture or some other way of you know storing the data or you know processing it it's interesting yeah, actually, in some respects, the processor is way faster than disk drives. Obviously, we're in the SSD revolution right now. Um, things like, um, I mean, this is only on IB, or uh, this is only on uh, Macs right now. But Thunderbolt is much faster than uh, USB. It's practically a PCI. So. Um, so Shane, what no, would you say is for normal everyday computing people? Is the the bottleneck their hard drives? You would say. Because most of them have enough RAM, right? For the, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, to get things done, I think you're looking at hard drive speed and also now your network speed, like your internet connection. Right, right. Because you know, a lot done. of people it's sometimes more. will choose more storage for you'll you'll go with that terabyte fifty four hundred RPM before you do you know the half a terabyte seventy two or or even SSDs. Yeah, I, I, but uh, the hard drive is probably the slowest individual component right now. Close whatever window that's echoing. All right. Robert says Microsoft is yawn in the chat. So let's talk about some fun. Let's, let's bring up Microsoft then. I can't even deal with that. Okay. Fun Apple news. Boy, there oh, is yeah. a lot of news this week. You there, Mike? I'm here. I'm here. There you are. Sorry, now you were saying what about Apple? About Microsoft. There's a lot of Microsoft news this week. We've got well, a Surface and we've got a Windows Phone 8. You know, it. The, I'm glad that they got the Windows Phone 8 for, um, not Windows Phone 8, the Windows 8 available for a tablet now. I mean, considering that UI looks like a tablet UI, but the whole problem I have with the, um, with the surface thing is how much is it going to cost? That's what? the big question. Everyone wants to know. What are you willing to pay for it? 
mm, I don't want to pay any more than any other tablet, but then again, they added the um, uh, keyboard extension and so forth on there, you know? So again, that, that'll, that'll push the price up, you know, as it should, but still, I don't want to pay too much. I mean, maybe five, four. So Robert, Robert Marcel in the chat brings up an interesting point. He says, most people don't buy off a of price. They go with emotions, which is what Apple got right. So is that, is that saying then that you're willing to go into a greater debt, saying if you're in that middle class where maybe you can't afford to buy one all at once, so you get a credit card. That echo is killing me. Okay. You get a credit card and maybe you go into debt to get it, but you pay it off. Would would you go into more debt to get oh, a shiny? No. You want what it's going to do for how much it's going to cost to do it. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna break the bank trying to get this device, whether it's the the hottest Apple device or the hottest Android device or the hottest Microsoft. I mean, because it's still technology, and we know how technology evolves every other week. Good you know, point. Yeah, I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but you know, you get not your new. Yeah, but I mean, it's still. I feel like though that too. Like that, I, I don't think it's worth it. If I'm going to put some type of money into a device and you know, be in debt over it, I want it to be something I'm going to have a long time that can continue to be expandable, such as like a a desktop computer where you can continue to add more RAM to it or swap out a processor in it as long as you have the same um same uh, North Bridge on it, you know. I think it that used to matter a lot more back in the day when you were making those big jumps and say your 266 was only good for because the developers were really waiting to get their hands on the next best thing. Now, it's not really the technology that's driving the next best thing. It's all about the code and the software which will run yeah. on pretty much anything we have nowadays. You know, in, in my case, I just don't have a real strong use case for a tablet. I own two or three, well, I own two or three Kindle-type devices, and then at work I have an iPad. Uh, and I don't really use any of them all that much. And I'm not sure I would use a tablet from Microsoft all that much either. Well, I'll say this. Um... There we go. I'll say this. The, at least, like I said, they put a keyboard on this thing to give it more of a laptop functionality. Um, but again, it, is that going to be a shot in the leg where someone's going to say, you know what, I can just go out and buy an Ultrabook. You know, I can just go out and buy another small, smaller laptop or what have you. You know, what, what particular market are they trying to tackle? Are they trying to tackle the tablet market? Are they trying to tackle the... the MacBook Air slash Ultrabook market. You know, are they looking at productivity or are they looking at creativity? Or are they trying to dissolve the line between markets? Are they... Uh, Mike, I want to comment on something you had mentioned about use cases for tablets. Yeah, I don't sure. think anybody has a compelling need to have a tablet. And I say this as somebody who has three of them. Um, it's, <laughs> most people use them sitting on the couch while they're watching TV. That's why I want one. Yeah, no, and, I, and it's, it's a luxury device. And yes, there's a few amazing learning programs out there for kids, and people make a big deal about it, that it's their first computer and all that. But 90% of people get it so they can sit on the couch 
or somewhere else in the house and surf while they're doing something else. It's 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 pure luxury. And I, it's um, almost like people have rationalized a use case oh, yeah. for it, you know. Oh, yeah. And I, I maybe maybe they're trying to dissolve the lines between the different and and say, you know, here is something that you can do everything with, depending on how you accessorize it. Yeah. Now I think Microsoft is clearly going after productivity, though, and I, I don't. I think they're trying to make it. Like, I mean, Apple tries to make it right. They, they've really connected with people emotionally and all of that. And they always have pictures of kids and pictures and, you know, puppy dogs. and But ice it's cream, business whatever, or pleasure, and that's not business, is it? I mean, maybe more and more it's becoming, but it didn't used to yeah, be. Yeah, I, I, I think those business cases for the iPad are, are kind of a stretch because it's not great for that. Nope. Um, and it's not the it's not the built-in iPad functionality that's doing it. It's what you're extending the screen basically, and and how you interface with it through apps, and that's what you can do with it. It's not something you're not doing business stuff is what came default on the iPad. Now I will say I will say I think the the the, the proposition that Microsoft is putting forward that you can use basically the same apps on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, and on your desktop, uh, and use the same interface Works on, working on any of those platforms. I think that's a pretty cool concept. And I guess as I, uh, as I get used to, I'll probably buy one of these Microsoft Surface tablets, and I'll probably wind up enjoying using it. Uh, I will still probably use my old desktop and laptop more than I use a tablet just because I'm used to used to and expect to have a keyboard in front of me. So that's interesting you bring that up, Mike. It's it's your it's what you come from. Uh, same within the phones. Like you kinda tend to stick with where you came from and yeah. do you think then that the kids that are kind of raised around all of this tablet computing and ultra books and stuff, their use case is going to be way different because they're used to something else. We're used to sitting like this and being in front of a keyboard and a mouse and you know yeah, yeah. alt tabbing through Absol- our crap. Absolutely and- I, and I can see it in my 11-year-old granddaughters. I mean, they are they are so facile on these tablets and phones, uh, and it makes your head spin. Uh, it concerns me a little bit. I'll give you another example, too. I've never seen my cat get on my desktop and start playing a game. I have seen her play with the tablet, though. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All the bright, shiny lights, huh? No, there are actual <laughs> cat game apps for this thing. I'm not even making that it. up. That's fantastic. It's called Cat Playground. Cat loves it. You know, the, the other thing that I think sets me apart from the, 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 the great unwashed masses of, of tablet users is I like to actually open up my box and tinker with it and take out the memory and put in more memory or change out the see, uh, change out the process, uh, the disk drive or, you know, that, that sort yeah. of stuff. It's almost a reassuring thing that if something goes wrong, chances are I hopefully have it backed up somewhere else, but I can just go in and swap out a drive or swap out a processor or a fan or RAM or anything. I built this thing. Like, anything that goes wrong in it, I can fix it. With these new... I, I'm not opening my Prime up. You're not opening up the new MacBooks. I don't know about the Surface, if if that's going to be very user... Uh, 
user accessible or whatever. I, I, I people made a, yeah. people yeah. made a huge deal about the new MacBooks, you know, being really everything soldered in and glued in and everything. And you know, well, so long as yeah, as Mike, long sorry. as the premium is on uh, small compact uh, devices that are ultra thin and uh, you know ultra lightweight, that really mitigates against users being able to tinker with the interior. Does that also propel us into a world more full of disposable devices? I think it probably does. Which may yeah. not necessarily be a good thing. What were you going to say, yeah. Ann? Um, what was getting me was how everyone was making out Microsoft is copying Apple and, and so forth. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's wrong to say that considering that Mr. Bill Gates was trying to implement this, you know, several years ago. It's just it didn't work out at the time. The timing wasn't right. You know now, what? I've, I've learned. I will say I will say this, though, now. The fact that they got Windows 8 on the tablet or Surface or whatever the hell you want to call it, Windows 8 on your home computer and laptops, um, two, two, uh, two of the same OSs on this multiple devices, that's very Apple-like in trying to get everything in that one central hub. You know, what's the next step? You know, but that's just... Apple does step? differentiate... They do differentiate their mobile OS from their desktop OS. Well, yeah, I know it's OS X versus iOS, but they still have it tied in with the whole iTunes and iCloud stuff. And right, the they, ecosystem. Yeah, you know, they try to get you all in one spot. One, What do they coin it? The digital hub? Didn't, isn't it how they used to coin it back in the day? Yep. So let me ask you guys this. Are you more excited for this, if, if you're excited for Microsoft stuff, or are you more excited for what was announced at, I forget if it was CES or the one in, in uh, Taiwan, but for that the Android transformer that had Windows 8, like that the AIO, the IO, because that's the one I I I would rather have the IO than the Surface, just because it does Android and Windows 8. I'm you know, I'm not sure about that device only because I'm not sure what the experience is going to be like. And what I mean is are the are the are similar apps on the two OS is going to be able to exchange data? Are they going to control elements of um, devices in the same way or in conflicting ways? I, that's a concept that I haven't yet seen working in real life and therefore I'm a little suspicious of it. Honestly, though, the only thing I really care if it does that with is the web browser. Everything else, I can live in the different apps, and most of that stuff is in the cloud anyway, so it's nothing for it to tap into APIs to make that fluid user experience. But if it doesn't, it's still cool. I'll just use it in Android all the time. I don't... I was just say if it can run... If they get a good version of Chrome running on Windows, uh, Windows 8... Um, you know, that kind of puts you in the... You can easily just live in the Google world all through your browser. And then when you switch over to the Android, all your same stuff is there, Exactly. Right? You can do... Yeah, and that's kind of... That's, that's actually the reason I'm in the Android universe is because whether I'm on a Linux, Windows, Mac uh, device, um, I can get at all my stuff just by logging into a browser. Plus, how long until the Chrome apps are pretty much the same as the Android apps. Like, I, th I can kind of almost see those merging, the, the ones that make sense, at least. You know, obviously, not all of them would, but there are different versions for, for each also. But what is it for those to transfer data between the two apps? 
And Robert Marshall in the chat, uh, yeah, another texture.com slash live, if you guys want to be in the chat, he, he brings up a good point about execution. He says executing is more important. No one cares for ideas if you can't execute them, which I think is a good point. That is so true, man. So true. That's, I mean, the, the twins. The, seem to lack ideas for a while. Didn't the Facebook twins learn from that? Like, they, that was our idea. Well, go have another idea, sissies. <laughs> well, we'll do commercials now. Okay, good idea, guys. And then it's a lot of Google's problem, too. They don't, they don't, they have more cool stuff out there that's not quite done and not quite connected into a truly cohesive experience that you could really sell. Um, and a lot of stuff is better than what Apple offers. It's just not as executed. Do you think they're working on that? It seems like with Google+, Plus, that's kind of been the platform to tie all of those loose ends together. I mean, slowly. Yeah. Very slow. <laughs> yeah. And I, to me, I think Google+, Plus is uh, very, mis- very much misunderstood. But I think, I think they are, ever since Larry uh, Page took over, I think they've been hell-bent on reorganizing everything over around a cohesive concept. But it just takes a while. I mean, um, you know, YouTube, they're just now getting that into the Google Plus universe, and that's a billion-dollar company on its own. And, you know, um, and I think it's all going to tie in really well. Or it could fail miserably, but I think they're on the right path. I think, too, the bigger those properties get, the harder it's going to be if they want to get rid of them to sell them. Because who else on the planet can handle that much video uploaded every second or every day? Like, I think it's gotten to a point where if they wanted to sell it, nobody could afford to even just keep it going just because just of how massive. It. Exactly. Just because of how big it's gotten. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, all right, let's well, uh, let's credit oh. though with Page. Though I mean, he's like you said, he's put a serious effort in it since he come on board. Especially telling the developers that hey, your paycheck's on the line, your bonus is on the line unless we get all of this stuff squared away. You know, hit them in their wallets. Great. You know, I just noticed a Google um, Google Drive portion on Google Plus here the other day. Have y'all noticed that? When you go to do attachments like a link or something like that, well, yeah, there's a drive yeah. option on there. Yeah, yeah, very cool. You know, I'd, I'd say Google is doing a far better job than Microsoft in staying current and innovating and putting great products out, out there. It saddens me to say that because I'm a long-time Microsoft kind of guy, but... Uh, you know, we go with what works. The, the things that Microsoft has launched and sort of abandoned uh, over the la- last uh, half dozen years, it's a pretty sad track record. You know, it just makes you wonder, what are their priorities? Is their priority just strictly enterprise, or do they want to expand it? You know, and it seemed like for the longest, all they worried about was the enterprise. You know, Windows <laughs> Server, Microsoft Office, that was it. You know, and then the Zoom was a disaster. And Xbox has been the only thing that's been working outside of the enterprise, in my opinion. It was only a few years ago that Steve Ballmer was saying things like, in 10 years, Microsoft will be an advertising company. And um, because they envisioned, because at the time, Google was their competition. I think this is before Facebook was big and maybe before Apple was where Apple is now. So they have not had a consistent strategy for the last few years. And um, in my day job, we work with advertising 
groups like Microsoft and all that. And they were for a while making a huge push, and then they kind of let it go. Um, now they're going back to being a Windows company. So that's kind of hard to say you're going to be an advertising company in 10 years, a few years ago, and then come back and say, oh, no, everything's about Windows. We're Windows now, Windows and Windows forever, which is a better play than trying to be an advertising company. You know, that that just sounds like a leadership issue. Yeah, you know. yeah it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just a leadership issue. Makes sense. Hey Shane, you you brought this up on AOTA last night. What is this? Let, I, I kind of want to talk more about this and what maybe this means uh, that Apple's kind of separating podcasts from iTunes when you know it was kind of a, a big uh, attraction of what brought a lot of people in there once they were, you know, they got their iPods and it was a, a section on there. And, and Apple's not one to to put you know useless sections or categories in their software like that usually. Yeah, so a little bit the details are still hazy, but um, the idea is that the um, finally in iOS five uh, they went wireless, right? You don't need to hook your PC um, to uh, your or your iPod to your computer anymore, which was insane that that only got fixed in two thousand eleven. Um, but in the i on the iTunes app on the phone, they're going to separate out the i the podcasting to its own separate app. That's all that we know at the moment. That's but, interesting. Uh, but then people, uh, Mike Elgin wrote an article. I'm sure we all follow him on um, on uh, Google Plus. Yeah. Um, yep. He wrote this article with all this wild speculation that this means Apple is going to take on. Um, companies like Stitcher, companies like Audible, that they're moving to audio books, uh, and that's what this, this this podcast means, and that they're going to coin it iPodcasts and somehow bring back the trademark, which they can't. That can't happen. Let's hope that doesn't um, happen. They, they can't. They, you, you can't just add a letter to a, a trademark and say, all right, um, all right hold on. i got to close these windows. Is it – I wonder – is it wise, maybe, for podcasters not to call their show podcasts and to maybe go with something a little more broad, like, like an audio cast or a webcast? Yeah, actually, that's why Leo Laporte always called them netcasts. Because, I always wondered um, that. I thought netcast kind of sounded weird. It reminded me of Winamp yeah, for some reason. It, it never caught on. You Sorry, have a we, ghost. Have like, we have a thunderstorm, I think, coming. <laughs> so wind is blowing. Um, he called them netcast because people were confused about needing a an iPod. Uh, so that's why he used netcasts. You almost uh, did, though. I feel like anybody that didn't have an iPod didn't ever know what a podcast was. Yeah, and I feel like now if you have an iPod, you barely can get podcasts on it without it being a complete mess. Right. Because <laughs> iTunes is so terrible. Do you think... Um, so this Oh, go ahead. I was say I think this will be good for. I think if they get a separate app, it means a separate place for discovery on your on your iPod and your iPhone. I think it's going to be good for podcasters. It's probably not going to revolutionize and change how we all stream media because half the population of phone users is already doing it on uh, Android with app, and even on iOS with apps like Stitcher 
And uh, Audible, I mean, I don't know how they're going to take on Audible. That seems kind of ridiculous. Is that, I almost feel though those are two different audiences because I do one or the other. Because if I listen, if I, I know that if I stop reading books and start actually listening to them, I won't listen to podcasts anymore because I'll just, all my time will be consumed. And Joey, the guy that does AOTA and Buffer Overflow show with me, he's, he's the opposite. He started listening to audiobooks and he hasn't listened to a podcast since. So I almost think I, I don't know if there's very many people that do both unless you have just they, a lot of free time on your hands. I'll tell you how I do both. Um, you have a lot of free I'm time my, when I'm working. The podcasts are like the radio in the background, right? Right. And audiobooks are what I do when I'm mowing the lawn, when I'm working Commuting. outside, or when the few times I commute or I'm driving somewhere. Because I live in the middle of nowhere, so it's at least 40 minutes everywhere I go. Um, so, but I don't know I don't know if that fits in. I can't work and listen to an audio, an audible book at the same time. So that's my use case. Podcasts are like my radio and um, it depends. audible books what kind of podcast you listen to though cuz i i feel like some of the more sciency or educational podcasts are almost like books where you're you want to get the whole message like a radio program i can tune out and you know dip back in and out throughout the day and not worry about it but if it's a show i'm into i'm hitting pause every time i jump out of my truck to make a delivery and then you know i resume i don't want to miss anything i feel like books are more that way you don't want to miss anything so you do it when you're more able to focus on, on what's being read to you. Yeah. And there are podcasts like Yats and attack the androids that you do that for, but there are a lot of uh, sports ones and just uh, paranormal ones. That I listen to that are just like the radio. Yeah. A lot of the comedy shows I listen to are pretty, are like that, but yeah, I don't know. I I've been wanting to do the audiobook thing and I know I have like a certain amount of hours I'm in a truck all day and I know that that would totally interrupt my whole play schedule and and I'd have to it's, rearrange you everything. Know, you know, the way I think about that is this. I I listen to a, a number of different podcasts every week, week in and week out. And then I also uh, have always got an audiobook that I'm I'm listening to. Uh and the difference is that podcasts tend to be about very, very topical uh, items. So, you know, we're doing this podcast, yeah, and we're talking about things that are happening in the news today or this week. And you're not going to get that in the contents of a book. On the other hand, uh, the books I tend to read are, you know, some of the some of the big classic in-depth works. It may be a biography of, uh, say, George Washington. You know, and you're not going to find a podcast that goes on for uh, 20 hours about uh, George Washington. Now, sure enough, there probably is one. But What if somebody did that? They just, like, went to a Borders once a week and picked a book and just recorded themselves reading it and said that that was a podcast. I'm going to do that. First up, we have the Linux in 24-hour book, and then Pro Tools, then unabridged Edgar Allan Poe. Could you imagine? (laughs) Oh, it would be terrible. You know, there there are podcasts of uh, public domain books. Scott Sigler does that with his books, with the Infected series. Uh, What was it? Contagion, Infected, and 
ancestor. I mean, he's got a ton of books, but yeah, he was doing that. He'd do a chapter yeah. a week, and if you wanted to read it all at once, you could go buy the book. But if you wanted it for free and you could wait, you know, that week, then you could consume it that way. And he hit yeah, the bestseller list. I mean, a couple times, I think. There's a great site online. I think it's called LearnOutLoud.com that uh, that features free. Uh, public domain recordings of uh, great works of literature. So, you know, you've got all that content you can listen to. And that's a case of, you, you know, someone say Robinson Crusoe or something, picks up the book and reads the book, records it. There's a certain amount of post-editing that's done to just clean it up, and then it's out there. And for free, you can listen to that recording of Robinson Crusoe. Which is otherwise a free book anyway, right? That's where you don't yeah. get into the troubles. That, that book is in public domain, which is right. why you can do that. That's cool. And then when somebody records it and then somebody gets it and remixes it and then someone auto-tunes it, and pretty soon we have 48 hours of video uploaded to YouTube every day, every second. Exactly. <laughs> so crazy. All right, uh, let's move you on. Know, and, if, Apple, oh. if Apple were to go after someone like Audible, it, it's... I thought Audible was using like uh, its own proprietary software. I mean, yeah, they have their the the audio format where they're recording the the narration and whatnot. But I thought those files were damn near DRM and and only playable via their software. I they, they are they are DRM'd, and you've got to you've got to have a player that they support, and they support like a couple hundred players. So are they not Um, actual MP3 files? Like if you go into your, like say you have a rooted device and you can get into the system files of of the Audible directory, like are there MP3s in there or is it something different? It it was a different format because I tried that one time to pull it out and see if I could put it on a different computer. Um, you can't. Do I can't it. Remember you what, have to yeah, do I can't it. Remember what the format was, but you had to have that Audible software on it, yeah, in order for it to work. It's its own file format. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there are MP3 encoding baked in there somewhere. But right, you, you got to get through their shell. And I at least wouldn't know how to do that. Well, and that <laughs> just gives them an upper hand if if they want to license that out to other, you know. Yeah places and audible audible is now owned by amazon of course so this is another chapter in the amazon versus microsoft wars just like amazon music mp3s versus itunes but you get to amazon through a web browser which runs on a computer which is generally running microsoft windows so I don't get what the war is. Microsoft also not selling socks. <laughs> no, this is, Amazon this does is, make a, their own apps, though. I view this as a as an iTunes versus. I think iTunes is competing with Amazon is competing with iTunes. Microsoft should sell its apps in the Amazon App Store. There you <laughs> Problem go. solved. <laughs> you want third? You want how many percent? No, you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Ant put an interesting article about how some companies that are getting hacked are hacking back. It's a hack attack. Go, Ant. 
Yeah, I uh, I saw this earlier this week, and and I'll be quite honest with you, I sort of faded out on it. Is this but, um, reverse psychology? Like, if I don't want you it, to hack me, how do I do that? I hire the guy that was going to do it. Now you work for me. But the problem, no, but the problem was they were looking at almost like baiting people from what I got out of it earlier. They would bait someone to come in and, and almost, you know, ping back on them. All right, this is what we can do to you to figure out who you are and get the proper authority. So that's like having, that's like hiring the social dash engineer.org podcast guys to do a pen test on your business and then like <laughs> totally extorting them <laughs> for their paycheck. But that, that's, that's crazy. That's you know, going to get you hacked. Ethical hacking thing. That's very common down here. Um, you know, with me being in the Charlotte, Charlotte area, this whole financial district stuff, with all the banks here, it's very common for them to hire ethical hackers, you know, just for, you know, intrusion testing, you know. On yeah, their pen testing is huge, man. You know, that's very common. But I think this here is it's just, I like how they put the first word is frustrated, you know, frustrated companies. You know, look, we, we're tired of getting whooped on, so... We're going to figure out and let them come in, and then we're going to start grabbing them and reporting them. Well, think know? about it. What What is the, the motivation, the, the driving force behind that? A lot of kids are bored, but most of them is financial. So like Google for the Chrome bugs, we will just pay you to find bugs. Like, please find them. We are happy to pay you. I think that's the way to do it because then you're not playing cat and mouse. You're actually paying people to go through your code and fix it f and test it at the same time, really. I mean, that it's a win-win, I think, especially as long as you're paying enough and you're not, of course, then trying to throw your hacker friends in jail after the contest. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so wrong. We're having here's a contest. Come on. Everybody's here's invited. Here's the county deputy here. Looking like an <laughs> Occupy protest up in here. <laughs> Do most of those hackers actually make any money when they do the hacking? I mean, I know there's a, a few hundred criminals. grand. I mean, that ain't big money for most people, but that's a lot of money. No, yeah. I mean, normally without a contest or anything like that, the normal black hats. I mean, do they make any money normally unless they're like, from what criminal? I've from what I've listened to from the social engineer guys, his business and the offensive security and the guys that made backtrack they do make good money, but they're doing it for very, very high-profile companies, the ones yeah. that you don't hear about in the papers getting hacked <laughs> because right. they're going through and they're testing and they're documenting, and at the end they provide this completely detailed report. Plus, they're holding Black Hat Capture the Flags at DEF CON and at Black Hat, and the companies that choose to participate in those are also kind of, on the other hand, getting a free audit so that they can kind of know where their holes are and, and improve or, or do what, what needs to, to happen to stop that. You know, most of it's spear phishing, malware, click on this. I just spoofed your site and stripped your SSL because I'm the man in your middle. And it, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I want to say here, and I could be wrong, um, like the banks here pay you know, 70, 80 grand for like a six to eight month contract. That's funny. And the banks here yeah. are still using WEP for their Wi-Fi encryption. Yeah. That's still pretty <laughs> scary. <you> <laughs> what? 
What bank do you use? I didn't say it was my bank. I said it was a bank here I happened to find that happened to pop up, and it said WEP. I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> really? That's... I live in a very small town, and even here it's locked down. WPA2. That is scary. It's like their safe is a little cardboard box with a fake handprint scanner on it or something. <laughs> it's not. Uh, I don't know. It's not embedded in the concrete. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're still waiting for the loan to go through. <laughs> that's so bad. In this so economy, bad. that's embarrassing. But I, th- I think that's good. And I think that it's it's it gives the hackers maybe a different... It gives them a better line of work than going to jail, than, than following the Kevin Mitnick story and, like, hacking companies yeah. for fun, going to jail, and then getting a job. You can... You can go around that whole pesky going to jail part <laughs> and hack companies <laughs> and actually get a paycheck afterward. Get your two hundred bucks when you pass go. You know. I need it to get a hold of be... his books. Oh yeah, Kevin Mitnick. Yeah, I need to get a hold of his books. It, it, it's a little scary because you don't even actually have to touch a computer to get access. Really, just calling him. On... I don't mean like he's launching missiles through the phone. I mean, he's getting passwords. They actually thought that. I am just blown away. One of our listeners from another show sent me the book because I said I wouldn't listen to the audio book I found, and he actually sent me the hardcover. And, man, that guy is crazy. I follow him on Twitter. I mean, he's he's not as fun to follow on Twitter as it is to read the book because he's kind of boring now, but he did some, some stuff, man. He was the man for a while. He really was the man. I was going to think those guys probably have plenty of work because there's, I mean, these companies are always going to have leaks. Uh, they're going to be under constant um, attack from outside the country at a minimum. Well, and think of the whole um, Stuxnet flame thing. I mean, that's only going to escalate. I, I wrote an article up. It's not posted oh, yeah. yet, but yeah, all about that. And it's the stuff I was reading. I was just like, wow. And, we don't even know how long this has been happening because the the viruses are changing, you know, their creation times and the timestamps on the compilations and like nobody knows except the guys that created it and nobody knows those guys cuz they're in a I don't room. Really think they know anymore. Exactly. Uh, and that, I mean, that's seriously sophisticated stuff and if it's only escalating from there, I mean, these guys have well, to work going for, down. Yeah, it, it yeah. scared me because that's that's to me what we did is uh, an undeclared act of war. Well, I, that's what I wrote about in the article: is what would happen if that happened that to us? Would we have retaliated with a cyber attack, or would we have lobbed some freaking grenades? You know, I and, think we would lobbed grenade, uh, grenades. Yeah, it'd have been fire. Exactly. It wouldn't have been no, it wouldn't have been no binary code. It'd have been fire. <laughs> And the, th- the other thing I brought up in the article is that w- the only place, once the escalating slippery slope starts its path, the only place I see it stopping is when it's like Matrix, when people are blowing off EMPs to send everybody back into the Dark Ages, literally, because it, there's nowhere else to go. Like, the only way to stop this is to kill your technology, and we're going to do that, you're going to do that to us. And instead of mutually assured destruction, it's mutually assured technological devastation, and that's that. I see us like cutting the the internet connections out of uh, Iran, or uh, jamming their satellites, or accidentally hitting one of their satellites with a laser that knocks out their internet. I mean that that type of stuff is going to happen. Like Transformers Three. 
Yeah, look in the news for accidental transatlantic fiber cuts. Shockwave just, just grabbing your satellite and like <laughs> just getting all up in it, all up in your bits. Uh, no that, that scares me a lot more than living through the tail end of the uh, Cold War. Well, it's almost that like each like... country is going to be its own walled garden Facebook-esque silo eventually. And to get in or out of a certain country's DNS or, you know, whatever, however it ends up working in the future is going to be, you know, hacker stuff. Like, oh, I'm talking and to my girlfriend in Iraq. Ha ha ha. And none of this even requires like a nation, right? It could just be a collection. I mean, it could be a collection of people, different countries who uh, want to re- you know, unite themselves as a bunch of like, uh, an, like anonymous, like a militia, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like an anonymous yeah. militia. It's, a, it's interesting. Uh, you should you should mention their name on the show, Ant. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just thought about that. <laughs> We're just Don't in it for the lulls. It's okay. It's all about the lulls. Wait, 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 Ant! Your uh, your image is fading. <laughs> <laughs> Just DDoS I mean, right this... out of the hangout. <laughs> we could have this potential cyber warfare. I just don't want it to affect the PlayStation Network. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that where some of this started? Was the PlayStation <laughs> Network? <laughs> I seem to you know, recall. I went a long time without my PlayStation Network, and I will never forget that Sony. You know it's, it's bad like when a website goes up that's how long since Honey's been hacked.com or whatever that site was that was counting how yeah. many times it was out of hand. It stunk. Yeah, it's making it's... me play my games local drive and not online. That right, was can cool. you imagine the humanity of these people? <laughs> those are the real terrorists. You you want to know something? Those are the real terrorists. That's who you should be going after. Send you know, them to in get all serious, it probably bothers more people when that went down than when we declared war in Iran. That's the terrible thing about it, right? It They're like, did, damn it. Kim Kardashian, the, the Sony PSN being down. War? Oh, no, I don't care. Give me my PSN back. That's no good. Is that that is also technology kind of guiding us in that path? I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, I'm gonna say. I mean, I, I don't want to downplay war and all that, but war was always limited to your soldiers, right? But cyber war can affect everybody at, the, at anybody, civilian or non, you know, civilian. Well, yeah, and and to to mention the article again, that was another point I put in there. Is that think about this when when you have war between two countries. What does the battlefield look like when that's done? I mean, it's destruction, it's rubble, it's death, it's corpses everywhere. Picture your internet being the battlefield. Like, I don't want to put any anything on an internet that is laden with the corpses of fallen, you know, bits and bites. Like, that's... It's when even when DDoSs are, are going on and major sites are getting taken down, we all notice the internet sucks that day. You know, it's yeah, internet it health. Like, go to the site, you can watch the red lights light up. It's it's terrible. So maybe yeah. they should build their own internet and and make their war sim on that internet so that we can continue to buy ninety nine cent apps from the Google Play Store. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping that Google can disconnect the Kansas City Fiber Network from the rest of the country, and we can have our own little enclave here. The, that would so. be nice. We'll, we'll connect each enclave via ham radio signals. It, it's going to go back to packet radio, right? Where you could do uh, TCP/IP over ham radio. 
That's that's high tech, low tech. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> People that know how that works are going to be in some high demand, though, if the EMPs hit. <laughs> Doomsday prepper stuff, I'll tell you what. That's a great show, by the way. That is a, did you see the one with the lady from Great Falls, or from Helena, talking about the nuclear uh, warheads we have here in Great Falls, Montana? She lives, like, I'm right... up to episode five. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I just found a random episode, and it was this lady from Helena, Montana. I was like, somebody from Montana's on Doomsday Preppers? Holy crap. And <laughs> I watched just, it, and she's completely not, nuts. How is everybody not from Montana on Doomsday Preppers? I don't know, man. It makes sense, though, because <laughs> some of the places I deliver to, I go in their crawl spaces or their basements to fix their softeners and stuff, and they have, like, stockpiles of just... <laughs> Like, what is this? <laughs> what are you waiting for? It's crazy. People are crazy. Too much. All right. Any other <laughs> stories we want to discuss before we wrap this thing up? You guys have any, anything you guys have been writing? Anything like that? Amp, start with you. Well, my latest was Mr. Creator of Linux, Linus Torvalds, did an interview at uh, Alto University, um, which is partnered up with his former university, Helsinki. And it was about an hour long conversation of um, Q and A, you know, ranging from what was your drive and what do you think about this and that. And at about 48 minutes, um, a lady stands up and explains she's got a laptop that's got two different video cards on it. One's a NVIDIA and one's like an ATI. And the NVIDIA card just never works worth a dang. She called up NVIDIA, and they, they won't help her out. And long story short, Linus Torvalds stands up and says, yeah, they're the worst people to deal with as far as, you know, Linux problems. And then he says, and I'm going to go ahead and say, sticks the finger up, yep. F you, NVIDIA, you know? <laughs> Actually, the, he didn't say... He, he was full-on uncensored, like, you know what? I don't yeah. even care. I made Linux. <laughs> Bite yeah. me. Bleak like you, <laughs> NVIDIA, you know? And, of course, the web goes nuts, and you see these images of this, you know, geek sitting there shooting a bird at somebody. It was brilliant. Um, it was a meme instantly. Yeah, but I wrote about I wrote about that, but I also looked more so at not just him pointing the finger, but he made a good point. You know, where, where is Linux going to go in the future, and what is what are the dependencies? You know, you got to have some support from the different hardware manufacturers, and you got to have some support from the enterprise and the user base too. You know, do you think some of that is those manufacturers spreading themselves a bit thin between supporting ARM and supporting you know Intel stuff and and trying to do Android or trying to do this or or that? Because I I don't know, man. The, even now with all the updates, the Tegra three just is a buggy chip. My Galaxy Nexus runs things so much better. I know it's not ICS. I know it's the chip because between the yeah. two, the dual core GNX is so much faster than this Prime, and it's all about that Tegra. That's just something's buggy in it, man. Do it ain't you right. seriously think these large companies are worried about spreading thin when they can get more money? When they can continue well, to get money? But how Nobody long can really they? Gives a crap about overworking their employees. Go ask your boss. They He's do though. Look what happens when. Look what happens when Foxconn employees are jumping out of windows. Like, Apple went over there pretty quick and was like, whoa, what can we do to make you guys iPads for everyone? I mean, like, what do you guys want? Like, they can yeah. only 
do that to their you can only fool your customers so many times before people just stop buying your stuff completely and it's not like they're a carrier where they have us trapped by a wicked contractor being the only carrier where you happen to live like we can go anywhere and get you know different graphics cards yeah that's true I feel like NVIDIA has taken a big hit in reputation over the last few years. Um, what happened, though? They used NVIDIA to be... Cards, so, but ATI has been making a big run at them and keeping it pretty cost-effective, too. You know, performance and cost-effective, all in the same same boat. Um, what do you think... I can't Ant, say I'm going to back away from NVIDIA just yet. What's that, Matt? I was going to ask, just what, what was the point where NVIDIA really started losing their... Their happy clout in the public's eye, and their hardware just started taking a turn. Like, what can we put a finger on when that started to happen? I'm thinking it was about three years ago or so when they, right after the Shane, I don't know if you remember, right after they did the 9800 models. You remember? Uh, what, yeah, when is the GT two forty? Yeah, the GTX. Yeah, right after they did the ninety eight hundred models and started rebranding, I think that's when it all started to change. Was that yeah, a you frag? Can go back to driver versions too. Look, look where the really bad driver versions were too. Was that yeah. also maybe a fragmentation issue when you could get the PNY, the VIA, the BFG, or three other versions of the same card? Same but, chipset. Like, yeah. I thought that was weird. I I think it's the chipsets. Well, no, the chipsets may be okay, but the drivers are bad, too. So maybe the hardware is fine, the software is just terrible. And why um, is that? Possible. I mean, you can make chips, but you can't make software. That's that's why I don't understand. Is it seems like there's so much, there's so much in common. Like if your software sucks, your chips are gonna act like they suck. So both need to work well. Why aren't your departments doing that? Like it's not impossible. I mean, you could. It can be done. I don't know if they thought they could ride that game and wave as long as they could or what. You know, but at one time. Having an NVIDIA card and going uh, SLI where you had two cards. Bridging them and, the oh, man. man. Yep. Yeah, you were the man. You were cleaning you know? out everything in that lower half of your tower just to fit those things, too, yeah. and, like, cranking up your 1,000-watt <laughs> you power NVIDIA supply. You wonder if going to make all the same mistakes that 3DFX did uh, almost 10 years ago now when NVIDIA just wiped them off the face of the earth. Yeah. Hmm. They better watch it, man. But yeah, that was the gist of mine. I was just looking at hardware as well as enterprise and and, and day-to-day use, you know. I mean, it, before the show started, I was in a pretty pissy mood because speaking of, of day-to-day use and video you cards, know, <laughs> you know, my Nvidia card is stuck on my home computer's boot screen. And you know um, that's a video card issue? Because that almost seems like kernel maybe something in a hard drive issue. Well, it's, um, I have a, I got a different, mo- a second monitor tonight. Plugged it up and ran a little software check to recognize both of the monitors. Right. NVIDIA's uh, binary uh, program. Uh-huh. And it recognized it and it writes a new config file. Yeah, this is the technical part of the show, everyone. Um. It, We're going to reconfigure. New, <laughs> yeah, it writes a new config file you know, to say, okay, you have two monitors. One of them is a Dell. One of them is a LG or what have you. All right, save the config file and reboot. So 
I backed up the config file, rebooted, and um, that's what I get. So uh, I sort of expected it to fail because it failed the first time I did this just from in installing a, um, a new uh, video card. And I know that there's one line of code that I have to go in there and add, and it takes a whole two seconds to do it. Added that line of code, reboot it, and I'm still stuck on that. So at you this know. point, you have to put that drive into another computer, add that line of code, swap it back, and then boot? Or what? It, what how are I've you... I've done that. And yes, it still is stuck? Before. No, it, um, I put it in a different computer with a different drive and then just navigate to that particular config file. Right. Rewrite so it. So yeah. what's the problem? Um... <laughs> It happened at about 10.50 p.m., and oh. we start recording at 11. I figured you'd be doing that like while we were doing the show, and we'd just come no, to you every now and then, like, no. pounding on the keyboard, like, Arr! Hey, so, Ant, what was the problem? That gave you seven minutes. Seven minutes, my... <laughs> All right. When we say starting at 9, we really mean 9.45, so clearly you had the time yeah, to Yeah, you did that. have a half hour there. I did have a half hour. Okay, just get a Chromebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he has a good that. point. No messing with drivers on that, right? <laughs> it just it works. Is. All right. Uh, well, Mike, I'll, you got I'll link to that in our show notes if people want to check it out. We're getting a lot of comments on it. I just got somebody commenting now. It's been it's a good some story. passionate Linux folks out there. Absolutely. Mike, you got a, a, any uh, final thoughts or uh, anything you've been writing you want to mention before we get out? Uh, I'll just plug uh, groovypost.com, which is where most of my writing is appearing these days. I do a a weekly wrap of uh, Groovy Post's uh, best and then an occasional article on uh, something I've reviewed or a a kind of how-to tip. Groovypost.com. Check it out. Good stuff. Shane? Uh, fall, a little bit fall from last week. We talked about the Apple Maps and all that, and the first reviews after WWDC are coming in. And um, Apple Maps does not stack up well to Google Maps. Not that that was a surprise to anyone on this show last week, but uh, that uh, I thought that was interesting. <clears throat> not good reviews. Gizmodo has a really good link that compares them side to side. Um, other than that, uh, I'll be writing an article for newdomain.net about... Um, audio uh, apps for Android, and uh, I also did mention it last week, but I'm also doing my own personal writing on uh, ShaneBrady.com, and I'm writing a lot about the Amazing Meeting, which uh, we, t- we talked about before. Man, I, don't, I can't remember if it's on the air or not, but um, Tam, Tam, yeah, Tam 2012 this year, and it's kind of cool tech related because a few years ago uh, they did a some guy did a presentation on 3D printing. Back when 3D printing cost twenty five to thirty thousand dollars, and no one had ever heard of it, and then a couple of years later, the maker bots were around. So sometimes maker you get bots. to see cool stuff, the same, the cool stuff like that years before it happens. And uh, so that's at shamebrady.com. And I also hear this year the skeptics, bleh, the skeptics guide to the universe. If you guys listen to that podcast, those guys are hosting a poker tournament at TAM. Yep. I mean, it's, yep. it's going to be kind of expensive to get in, but these are rock stars. You may sit down at a table next to Dawkins. You never know. 
Plus, a lot of them are are magicians and card tricksters. So <laughs> yeah. watch watch yeah, their sleeves. I don't play poker with magicians. I'm just saying it's a rule I have. <laughs> card counters are gonna be mentalists. There. Yeah, right. Like getting all up in your head. No thanks. <laughs> I've seen some amazing mentalist acts there. So yeah, I don't play poker. I won't be partaking in that. But. But, yeah, I haven't even uh, called yet, this year. and I'm all in. I don't what? know how he did that. I said I haven't even called yet, and I'm all in. I don't know how he did that. <laughs> He's very sneaky, very sneaky. All right, well, cool. Yeah, and I, like I said, I got that uh, Flamer Stuxnet article coming up. I got a Photoshop Touch review for Android maybe coming up. If not, I'll post it somewhere else. Uh, yeah, Groovy Post, the new domain. Check out our site, attackoftheandroids.com, and this one, of course, yet another tech show. Dot com. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone in the live chat. We'll see you on Thank Google+. You Plus. We'll see you on Facebook, Twitter, all that. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Good night. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks everybody. Good night. Check us out online at yetanothertechshow.com.